Hello and welcome once again to the Along the Trail podcast. I'm your host, Neil Halford. With the approach to the first anniversary of my mother's passing in June, it occurs to me that I've spent a lot of the past year assessing my parents' legacies. There are the things rescued from my childhood home, like my father's humble but charming self-portrait bust, which sat for years on the family mantle, made many years ago in a shop class. There's the violin my mother thought for a hot moment was actually a Stradivarius, until I pointed out to her great disappointment that Sears had cranked out thousands of cheap student replicas labeled with the names of famous luthiers. Those are merely the things that one can hold and touch. My brother Gene and I also inherited slightly different mixes of their divergent personalities that swung from wildly creative extroverts to bookish hermits who sometimes bordered on misanthropy. But there's also the matter of a common cultural heritage handed down to my particular branch of the Halford family, which is not at all obvious to the casual observer. My cousins and I are all descendants of the Cherokee. Osio. Based on my appearance alone, most people would not pick me out of a lineup as being even partially indigenous. As a six-foot-three, balding, bearded, and blue-eyed man, the Anglo-Irish half of my bloodline is what most people see. There are those who have Mediterranean or Asian backgrounds who have no Native American heritage at all, who would pass more convincingly as one than I do. Nonetheless, despite a plethora of people who say they've had a Cherokee princess as an ancestor, which is not at all a real thing, or anything you should claim to a true indigenous person, I'm proud to have the history and the paperwork to be a card-carrying member of the Cherokee Nation. The requirements for membership among the various indigenous tribes of North America vary considerably. To formally join the Cherokee Nation, the major qualification is that an applicant be directly descended by blood from an ancestor registered on the Dawes Roll, sometimes also called the Final Roll. I am lucky enough to have both a grandmother and a great-grandmother that meet that qualification. Established in 1893, the mission of the Dawes Commission was to split up the lands held in common by each of the so-called colonizer-labeled five civilized tribes, being the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, and Seminole, and subdivide them into individual privately owned parcels of land to be given to verified members of each tribe. The publicly vaunted rationale for this was to take what was viewed as a poor, naive indigenous population and enable them to more effectively compete against their more sophisticated white neighbors. In reality, this was an effort to break up tribal sovereignties while forcing indigenous people to surrender their diverse cultural identities in favor of one more palatable to their neighbors of European descent. Only one-third of the over 300,000 applicants to the role were deemed to be legitimately Indian enough to be accepted and receive an allotment. I find that there's no small irony in the fact that an instrument that was intended to help obliterate native cultures now serves as the definitive yardstick by which these five tribes now measure the authentic heritage of their members. The land allotment granted to my great-grandmother Lydia Crittenden lies in modern-day Adair County, Oklahoma, just south of the city of Stillwell, 
in a community known as Zion. Her daughter Flora would marry my grandfather Jess Halford, and it's through this connection that our family land and my awareness of our Cherokee heritage most directly flows. Of course, being native is about a great deal more than having a roll number or occupying a specific piece of land or having a specific amount of Native American blood. It's about traditions and worldviews and language, all of which I regret to say I didn't learn much about when I was a kid because of my grandmother Flora's reticence to discuss our so-called Indianness. She could speak Cherokee, but she used it very sparingly around me, and usually the only occasions on which I heard her speak it was when she was angry or if she was saying something she didn't want me to understand. Apart from the words for hello, thank you, man and woman, I'm not able to express myself in, nor understand, my grandmother's language. Whenever I asked for her to teach it to me, she would always ruefully shake her head and tell me that learning Cherokee wouldn't do me any good. White men ran the world we lived in, and if I wanted to get anywhere, I'd do best just to act, dress, and speak like them. Most of the native traditions that were passed down to me came from watching her in her kitchen. On occasion, she'd make fry bread or smash up hickory nuts and form the result into a ball which she'd later boil and add to rice to make a dish called kanuchi. But above all else, it was her residence in the city of Stillwell, and its claim to be the strawberry capital of the world that was the most Cherokee thing about my upbringing. To this day, there's still an annual strawberry festival, complete with a parade and a strawberry queen who is crowned for the event. My parents and my brother and I would drive down from Tulsa every year to attend, and we would spend the afternoon and evening at my grandmother's house as she laid out one dish after another of every strawberry-based food imaginable. And we'd always end up returning home with several baskets overflowing with them. Imagine, therefore, their immense distress when it was learned that I was mildly allergic to them. It would be easy for an outsider to mistake Stillwell Strawberry Festival as just another regional celebration based on whatever food was most abundant in the area. But in point of fact, the strawberry plays an important role in Cherokee cosmology. At the beginning of time, first man and first woman were living together in great happiness by the side of a broad river. They had all the things that they could desire and loved one another deeply. But one day they began to argue, beginning first with small things and then greater things, until at last First Woman became so angry that she decided she would leave their home with the next dawn. When First Man awoke to discover that First Woman had gone, he tried to follow her tracks, but found that she was far, far ahead and that he couldn't hope to catch up with her. Aggrieved for all the unkind things that he had said, he asked the sun that was high in the sky to stop First Woman so that First Man could tell her how sorry he was and how much he loved her. The sun took pity upon First Man and so reached down to touch the soil with its rays and cause for a huckleberry bush to spring up in First Woman's path. But she took no notice of it and continued angrily to walk. The sun tried once again and brought forth blackberries to appear along her path. But again, still she kept walking, taking no notice. Understanding that something new and truly special would be necessary to draw her attention, the sun created a wild patch of aromatic strawberries, which she could not avoid seeing. Astonished by their great profusion, 
first woman did indeed stop and look at them and wondered at their beautiful color. Picking one to eat, she became so filled with warmth that all of her anger faded, and she wondered at the heart shape of the half-eaten strawberry in her palm, reminding her of all the love and happiness she felt for first man. As she sat down to eat even more, first man was at last able to catch up with her, and they apologized to one another for their hasty words spoken in anger. Gathering up the new plants to take home with them, they would plant them in their garden by the side of the broad river to remind them to do nothing in haste and to forgive each other for their faults. This past Saturday, on May 11th, Stillwell Strawberry Festival celebrated its 76th anniversary, and once again descendants of my great-grandmother Lydia Crittenden gathered on her Cherokee-allotted land to celebrate our family and this native-inspired tradition. Thank you for joining me for this brief exploration about my indigenous heritage. Next time, we'll be looking at the First Nations band from which my wife's people descend and how it shaped her own upbringing. Until then, I wish you happy traveling until we meet again somewhere along the trail. Music